podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I'm Jeremy Shear. The podcast is brought to you by Conversa, a digital content agency that helps you create a month's worth of content in just 60 minutes. Now back in the good old days when interest rates were super low and money was cheap, most tech startups were in full-on growth mode and using all that sweet money to grab as much market share as possible and worrying about profits, pushing that off until some later day. But today, when access to cheap capital is kind of dried up, those, a lot of those same startups have had to pivot on a dime and start making a profit. And so marketers at those companies have had to pivot too. And all the while seeing their budgets cut and their headcount shrink. So adapting to that new reality is not easy or simple. And my guest today is here to share his experience and some insights about how marketers can kind of navigate that rocky terrain. So Mitch Solway is a fractional CMO who works with early and growth stage startups. Mitch, it is great to have you on the show. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's get right into it. So in your view, what's the number one thing marketers need to do or maybe just get their head around in order to make that transition successfully? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, when you think about it, I always say marketing in a, any growth company is always, I just describe it as relentless, right? It's just, you got to go, you got to go, you got to keep growing and growing and growing and growing. We've just come through an era where people describe it as growth at all costs, yeah. right? So you've got abundance, right? You've got lots of money and lots of resources that you now are being pressured to spend and invest to grow the business. So that's a very certain type of mindset and certain type of pressure. Marketers love sort of to complain about, oh my God, I got to do all this growth and I'm expected to do all this. But at the same time, marketers love it because when you can crack that net, it's a good feeling. But it's a very different situation and different type of pressure. And, and the way you're going to attack your marketing plans and how you go to market, what you're going to track and measure and what success looks like is very different when you're resource rich, but it's a very real pressure. It's like everyone's just wants to grow, grow, grow. They don't really care as much about what things cost as let's move that top line up. Then we'll figure out the bottom line later. And so now you've hit this real massive shift where you're now talking, you're now the same marketing leader, but you've moved to a position of scarcity where it's like, guess what? You're resource poor and there's a premium now on profitability or on sustainability and runway. And so the biggest challenge for any marketer, I'd say number one is just mindset. And you can either, you're really gonna struggle if you spend your time looking backwards and going, man, I used to have all this money. I used to have more people and no one was on my butt about hitting certain profitability targets. I just needed to grow the business. And as long as you continue to hang on to what you have, that's just going to get in your way of moving to what you need to do. So I would say half the battle, if not more, is just letting go of how it used to be and just coming to reality and coming to terms with what you have today and then reassessing because even though your tactics and strategies will be very different from one to the other, when you're not in it, you can go, oh, of course, I need to shift how I approach. But if your brain isn't set on 
dealing with what you have now and say, okay, this is what I have. How am I going to make the most of this? What's really important? Then you're just going to get stuck in this loop of it's not the way I used to be and, and things were so much better before. And that's going to be probably your biggest block. Is there an argument to be made that even while having your budget slash, let's say, and losing team members obviously sucks in a lot of ways, is there an argument to be made that having a landscape suddenly where you need to do the same with less is actually maybe a blessing in disguise? You know, it's like, okay, you have limited resources here, kind of limited options. And is there a way in which that could be freeing maybe? Yeah, and it's going to be sort of related to the follow-on point is if you're a marketer that's never worked from a position of scarcity, then yeah, absolutely. It can be just a great opportunity because we've all seen, I think it's pretty obvious and clear now that businesses and markets are going to go through cycles. And as a marketer who's responsible for leading and driving growth, you need to be able to navigate periods of abundance and periods of scarcity. So you could look at this period of scarcity of going, okay, and just take it on as a personal challenge. It's like, okay, you know, what have I got? What am I going to do here? What resources am I going to pull? And you may discover that you're really bad at it. Right? <laughs> you know, some people really struggle to work from positions of scarcity and it's just not in their skill set. It's not what they're used to. It's not the muscles that they flex, which is also why you look at organizations will hire different types of marketers at different phases of growth because some you know, aren't very capable in the early days when it's all about figuring stuff out. But once you want to scale and grow, they're really good. And, and you've got vice versa of people that sort of end up getting managed out of organizations and, and don't really enjoy it so much when it's all about scale and grow and there's not so much to figure out anymore. I know personally, there's been times when I've been faced with those harsh realities of scarcity and you just, you know, you get resourceful. I've always found it's been good for me to start to think about, well, how would I go about this if I didn't have a lot of money? And you start to build a, a broader playbook, which those things are still valid when you're resource rich. <laughs> and now you become even richer in terms of what you can do. So I, I do think it's an opportunity, but it's still going to start with having the right mindset of saying, let's play a game here and let's see, let's see what I can do. So you mentioned you've been in this situation, you're working yeah. at a tech startup and correct me if I'm getting any of the details wrong, but you're working at a tech startup, you were informed that your budget was going to be cut by about 50%. And of course you still needed to deliver and, you know, meet your targets or, or even if those targets change still, you've got to show what you can do. So tell us that story, you know, how did you manage that situation? Sure. Well, there's been many situations, but I think the one that you're referring to was Back earlier in my career, when I was leading marketing for a company called Lava Life, which was an online dating business, we had been growing and growing the business from a couple million bucks and we got up to hundred million in revenue. And I was leading all the marketing spend and I had a budget of like 20 million bucks, which is pretty good for back in the day. And you know, we were in a conversation about our financials and what things were looking like and the market had slowed down and we had actually acquired a, a web portion of, the, of our business and we needed to make investments in there and the money had to come from somewhere. So I was told, Mitch, you got to cut the budget 50%. So reaction number one is I'm a human being. I'm going to go, what, you know, are you kidding me? It's working. It's, you know, it's not possible for me to cut my budget by 50%. And I think it's fair to give everybody some space to just emotionally digest. <laughs> and I had to right before I could, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, in a moment, I'm like, okay, no problem. Let me figure it out. So first you just let yourself absorb 
what's gone on. And number two, as I say, is make sure before you can even move forward, make sure you understand why it's been asked. Because if you're working in a company, like it was a great organization, lots of smart people, really good leadership. And, you know, I was part of the management team. I, I was part of those conversations. So I had pretty good insight, but I was just clarifying, okay, so we, I need to do this because this is actually going to help the overall business in terms of where we need to go. And I understood why we were doing it, but it still had a very emotional response first. So I kind of breathed through that, took a breath and took a step and said, okay, now that I've got to do half, what am I going to do? And the reality was we had, for this particular situation, we had a legacy media investment in print publications. This is pre-internet or maybe early internet, where most of our advertising was print. And then we just started investing in television, direct response television. And I had been playing with the notion of the balance of those two things, but there was no incentive for me to do anything radical. Right. Why would I do something radical when things were going pretty smoothly? But now I was being asked to make a radical cut in my budget. So most of my budget was in media dollars as opposed to people. And I said, you know what, I'm going to have to pivot a bunch of my media out of print, which was much more expensive, put more of that into television, and then also to shelve some of the costs. And I worked this through with the media agency I was working with, and I put the task to them, and we just became productive in trying to solve that problem. And we looked at it as, well, you know, maybe we can get something out of this. And we ended up cutting the budget 50%, and we ended up shifting a material portion of our dollars out of print into TV, and meanwhile, taking those savings. And it ended up elevating the business and leading to a whole bunch of other initiatives and other advantages that having more of our customers come in through our TV channel. It helped us figure out how to solve that even better. So we ended up in a much better financial position and it ended up being a good decision at the end of the day, but it forced my hand to do something radical. I could have done it anyway, but I'm like, well, why would I take that risk if we didn't really need to? So sometimes these things can sort of wake up your brain or force you into action uh, on things that you may not normally act on. So it ended up working out very nicely. I like how you put that, you know, it, it forced your hand and it's natural maybe for businesses generally or a marketing team to be a little risk adverse, right? Like you want to make smart decisions and minimize risk, but sometimes, at least in this situation, you were forced to put more money into what you thought was a riskier proposition, but you were kind of forced to learn like, okay, we're going to have to do this. How do we make it work? And and yeah. like you said before, then when maybe you get some of that budget back, it's not like you're going to immediately go back to print. You're like, hey, we kind of cracked TV here. This is awesome. We're doing even better than before. And, and you probably wouldn't have learned that, at least not on that time span, if you hadn't been forced to. Yeah. And let me tell you what I learned from that in later in my career. So the thing was, we eventually moved to a 52-week plan on TV, and then there wasn't really any more that we could spend. I, re I learned that, well, I can't spend it on print. So when I got more budget and we grew even more, it's like, well, I'm not going to put that in print. I can't put it in TV. I need to find mm. other channels, right? So now you free up cash. And what I learned from that scenario is maybe you're not helping yourself by being careful and cautious. Mm. <laughs> and... Later on, not a number of years later, I joined a startup and I was the one 
that came in and went from abundance to scarcity. I took us from abundance to scarcity because I knew that when I came in, we had seven people on a marketing team. We were spending $100,000 a month on pay-per-click ads, and we were completely unprofitable. Mm. The investors, so it was a venture-backed company, and our investors were saying, keep spending, like spend your way out of it. And I stepped into this and I go, this is not a winning formula. And we just started to ask a lot of the questions of the business that I had to ask when I was back at Lava Life, you know, spending heavily in a couple areas and realizing that, you know what, there were some things that were better ROI and a lot of money that was being wasted. And I went through first a period of consolidation. I reduced the team from seven people to four people. Hmm. You know, if we're already inefficient and we really only had one channel that was working for us and it was a relatively junior team first is like, let's just consolidate people because there's just too many people working on this. And phase two was we looked at our media spend. We were spending $100,000 a month on pay-per-click ads. And, you know, I asked our pay-per-click manager, how much of that money, how many of our keywords have never translated into a paid customer? You know, and I don't think anyone, I mean, it's such a basic yeah. question. But we've been doing this for quite some time. And so she did the analysis and we found that we could cut 70% of our pay-per-click spend without losing a single customer. So where, you know, we were getting pressure to spend from abundance, you've got all this money that you've raised, let's go spend our way through this and figure it out. It was really one way to go, but having been there before, I'm like, I started asking the questions like, are we even spending this smartly? Could we spend it other places? So we turned up $70,000 in media spend that was just inefficient. So what did I do? I had some success in this market. We we're selling SMBs in radio and direct response radio and satellite radio is I just took that 70K, like this is free money. The business did not decline. And I started do well, I did two things. One is I put it into radio campaigns to test those. And it ended up 3Xing the business. So we're back to 100K a month, right? But it was a very different mix of media. You know, now we went from abundance to scarcity, back to abundance again, but we were spending from a point of driving success and actually driving growth rather than trying to spend your way through it. The other thing we did, the other thing I learned is how much your product and your user flow can significantly affect your acquisition cycles. So on that business, like it's not just about spending money here and spending money there for being in a very inefficient with how we're managing that. We had a very unique sort of, I guess, try free trial motion or whatever is where it was a job posting app business that I was working on. And we would allow one out of every three applicants that would come into your funnel to be visible. And we were thinking we were kind of restricting you. But a lot of our customers would get hundreds of applicants. So one out of three for free was perfectly fine. So they would never pay us. So when we looked at that as being inefficient, I worked with the product team. We had a really good conversation. And we completely moved away from a trial model to a money back guarantee model. It says, look, if we, you can't find and hire someone that's good for your business, we'll give you your money back. So the combination of the in it, you know, finding the inefficiencies that were coming from, you know, spend your way through something and the discipline of having gone through like, is what we're doing like the right things and let's look under mm -hmm. the covers everywhere is what we changed from a free trial to a money back. We cut 70% of our spending in areas that weren't efficient and tested and invested those in new areas. 
And the next thing you know, yeah, we're on a way to sort of tripling the revenues on the business while reducing headcount without increasing spending. So that nobody told me to do yeah. that. And it wasn't a cut that, that I was told to make, but having gone through this a few times before, there were just places I would start to look on a business for places where we were just inefficient, that we could probably make some cuts. You can always make some cuts and figure out your way through it. Wow, that's such an interesting story. And it, it really, I think, is a great example of how having experienced that scarcity situation and knowing what it is to be in a kind of scarcity mindset can be super valuable to bring to a, a, an abundance situation, which, and it sounds like, you know, also a good example of how abundance can be a double-edged sword or a blessing and a curse. It's great to have a lot of money and be able to do all kinds of things, but it can also, you can get entrenched in some bad habits without even knowing it and just wasting money without even really being aware of it because no one's forcing you to be aware of it. Yeah, and it's also a very different type of pressure. Like when you're in abundance and you you have to spend money and then you but you also have to hire people, right? And then you're making all kinds of decisions which are listen, it's it, efficiency isn't the premium. Mm. It's growth is the yeah. premium. And so we become really inefficient and then what happens is we at some point the situation changes or pivots a little and now we have to deal with the costs of the decision we've made prior. And I'm not saying that there's a right way and a wrong way yeah. through all this. I'm just saying that the way will will pivot and there's certainly a cost of being hyper efficient. And I've worked with marketers before where I've wanted them to, to be inefficient. <laughs> I said, listen, we're testing a new yeah. channel. The whole point is to be inefficient. And they'd say, but what about our CPAs? And I'd say, don't worry about the cost per acquisition. We're not working for that right now. We're just trying to find volume. We're trying to see, is there volume in this channel? And let's be inefficient at doing it because if we can find volume, we'll find our way to efficiency. But I don't want to spend a little bit of money to be super efficient because I'm never going to know if I can unlock some real growth. And I said, I'll hold your hand. <laughs> so I've told them, let me hold your hand on CPAs because they were very afraid to be inefficient on something. But there's cycles even when you're in scarcity where you need to be inefficient. And there's times when you're in abundance when it pays to be efficient. And you need to have your brain working in these mindsets con continually, which also says you need to come back and really understand globally from your company's perspective. And I say primarily the CEO is like, what are they looking to you to deliver? You know, what's your role in the whole financial picture of the company? And because times I've been told, it wasn't even revenue. It was like, Mitch, the CEO of one company, I said, what do you need me to do? It was a really tough time. He said, Mitch, if you can just look after new customers, just drive our new customer numbers, I will be very happy. That's what I need you to do. It wasn't about revenue. It wasn't about churn. You know, it was just bring the new customers in. And that was like so helpful. And I go back to my team. And I say, guys, it's all about new customers, mm -hmm. you know, which means we could probably be a little less efficient in how we're acquiring them, but we really wanted more of that volume of new customers to come in. So getting that clarity and, and making sure that you're purposeful and intentional in terms of the outcomes that you're driving, and those are gonna line up with whatever the, the growth priorities are for the business is important. Wow, well, Mitch, you have dropped just a ton of really useful knowledge uh, here during this episode. I mean, I, I feel like I 
just went through like a little mini masterclass in kind of marketing mindset. That was super awesome. So how can people connect with you? Yeah, the best way to find me is on LinkedIn. Just look for Mitch Solway and I'll be there. And one of my favorite things to do is to meet new people. So don't be shy. Connect with me. Send me a message. And yeah, I'm, I'm meeting so many people every week. So feel free to reach out. Okay. Well, we'll put your information in the show notes to make it easy for our listeners. And Mitch, thank you so much for your time. This was a really, really cool conversation. Oh, my pleasure, Jeremy. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.